We are in Colossians chapter 2, but before we get into Colossians, I want us to stop in Romans. So turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. While you're in Romans chapter 8, um, we're going to end up coming back to Romans 6 later, so if you want to mark your Bibles, we'll come back to Romans 6 and read a, a paragraph there. But a couple of passages that I want under our belt as a foundation or a, an umbrella of our conversation, so to say. And it begins here at the end of chapter 7. And, and Paul is, this is, if you read through the whole letter of Romans, and we're not going to get into its details, he's proclaiming the gospel from beginning to end, who Jesus Christ is, who we are apart from him, who we are in him. He is proclaiming the gospel of God, which is the power of God unto salvation for each and every one of us. But in the argument, in the flow of his conversation, in chapter 7, we call them the doo-doo verses because Paul is bouncing back and forth. That he's saying that there's this war, there's this conflict on the inside. I know what the word of God says, and I know what he's convicted me of in my own behavior and thoughts and, and actions in life, that there are things that I do that I don't want to do. There's things that he tells me to do that I don't find myself doing, but I want to do them. So there's this bouncing back and forth. There's this conflict that every single one of us, we sit in, even in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, this, this great man of faith, this isn't who he was in history. He's writing who he is at the moment for every single one of us to know and understand. We have this conflict, and we have this cry out to God, and this is the cry. O wretched man that I am. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Now, we're going to sit in this, in this body of death idea this morning, but when Paul asks this question, how do you answer it? Who's, you're, you were a wretched man, you were a wretched woman, in the sense of you have this conflict. You agree that God is good, that God is true, he's holy, you want to do what he tells you to do, but you don't, you don't find it within you to be able to do what he tells you to do. And this is Romans chapter 8 where he tells us that we walk in the spirit and not by the flesh. Again, his argument continues in Romans. But where we are in Colossians this morning is we're going to sit in a lot of religious ideas and a lot of religious traditions. So when human beings ask, a wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? Do you know anybody, apart from Jesus Christ, do you know anybody who's come back from death? I mean, sit, sit in the, the reality. Death is eternal. It's permanent. Every single one of us, whatever our timeline is, we're all staring down this tunnel of time, and we have a day of death coming. Who is going to save me from this body of death? And in the Bible, we have very clear uh, revelation that the reason human beings die is because we lost the image of God. God is eternal. He created man, men and women, male and female, in his image to have eternal life. And through sin, through disobedience, the wages of sin is death. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body that is going to die? Now, as we sit in the answer to that, Paul is, I love his answer because he really doesn't answer it. He just begins to praise God. He just says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one who frees us from this, this body of sin and death. And again, this imagery is going to come up in Colossians. But as we sit in religious tradition, what are the answers that our cultures and that religion give us rather than Jesus Christ as the singular answer? What are the other answers? Well, if you're obedient to this religious philosophy and this idea, and you can sit in all the religious traditions since the dawn of time. Here in the Bible, you're going to sit in the Greco-Roman tradition and their pantheon of gods. You can sit in Hinduism. You can sit in Buddhism. You can sit in all the different answers that humanity is given for how we are freed from death. And every single one of them is wrong and incomplete 
based on false premises and really gives false hope. Every single religious tradition is incapable of freeing you from your body of death other than Jesus Christ in his resurrection. Because his, his resurrection is the testimony. There is our freedom. There's our hope. There's our confidence, right? Now, religion, even in Christianity, will add a bunch of extra stuff. That, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need to do A, B, C. You need to prove yourself. You need to prove yourself to God. You need to prove yourself to me. You need to prove yourself to one another. You need to keep yourself. You need to hold yourself. Hold yourself. If you don't do these behaviors, usually what do those people do that are attempting to communicate that kind of religion? Those are the ones that are going to pick up the stones. They may be verbal stones, and they're going to throw them at your head to beat you into submission, Right? What is, what is even in, even in Christian, this is, this is a horrific testimony in the body of Christ. People kill, people that look to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, going and executing another human being because they don't adhere to their tradition as they understand who Jesus is. You ever heard of the, what is it, the, the Inquisition? You ever heard of the, you know, the Crusades? You ever heard of anybody getting burned at the stick? Can you imagine us? Somebody who disagrees with our understanding of the word of God, we're going to go take them outside and we're going to burn them to death because they don't believe in God the way that I do. And not just God and Jesus. That's what religion does. It attempts to bind people, beat people into submission, keep people underneath a thumb and authority. But what is the New Testament tell us? Free. You, were, you have been bought. You are no longer the slave of anyone else. You are now the property. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you're his and his alone. You don't have a relationship with God through a pastor, through a priest, through another human being, through a religious tradition. You have access to the almighty God through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10, really quick. He is in a discussion in regards to his heart for his brothers and sisters in the nation of Israel for their zeal for God. Verse 3, saying that they're ignorant of God's righteousness. Why? Because they're seeking to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted to the righteousness of God. And this is the contrast. What is God's righteousness in contrast to human beings coming up with a system of their own righteousness? In verse 4, Jesus, for Christ is the end of, of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Whatever anybody wants to teach you, this is how you bring about righteousness, right standing, just standing before the God who created you. If anybody communicates anything other than Jesus and Jesus alone, that's adding man's righteousness to the list. And we're warned about this continually not to do so. Jesus is the end of the law of righteousness, not of God's law of righteousness, because righteousness only comes from God, but all of the man stuff, all of the man system. Jesus sweeps all of that away. Galatians sits in this argument, so you can read through Galatians. It's half the size of Romans. It's kind of a consolidated argument in regards to the gospel. But it, he, yeah, Paul asks this question of just, you know, why, why would you and why are you seeking to be shackled and bound to these different traditions when this is exactly what Jesus has freed you from? Knock it off. I'm saying knock it off to you, and I'm saying knock it off to me. I, I've had a fantastic time. I always have a fantastic time just sitting with God and his word. I love how refreshing it is. I love how encouraging it is. But just sitting again this morning in in Colossians and where we're going to be. 
I mean, I'm using all of this as, as, a, as an introduction just for a foundation, but I want you to be overwhelmed by who Jesus is and by what it is that he's done for you and for us and for anybody that chooses to believe in him. Because this is the cycle, let's turn to Colossians, this is the cycle of Paul's communication to this congregation. And in it, he has elevated Jesus to the height that he belongs. Somehow I'm going to get there. There's Colossians. Let's see. In chapter 1, verse 12, this is his prayer, but he's giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. He's made us to be sufficient to be partakers of the, hev- of the inheritance of the saints and the light. He has delivered us from the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Listen, and then he's just all about Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Defines Jesus. He is the very image of the invisible God. In him, everything was created. Everything that's been created is through him and for him. He is above all things. In Jesus, all things consist. He is the head of the body, which is the church. This is getting into this definition of the body, right? We have a body of death that is part of history, but through Jesus Christ, we have been transferred into his body, into his kingdom. In Jesus, all the fullness of God dwelt by him. He's reconciled all things. He has made peace through the blood of his cross. He has reconciled, listen, this is a verse 21 of chapter 1. You who were once alienated and enemies in your mind and, and your wicked works, yet now he has reconciled, listen, verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death. Very important definitions that our God who created the heavens and the earth, everything is through him, for him, by him. Get that definition? And Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God. God took on flesh, this body of death, to become sin for us, to die, the sin, the, the die that death on the cross for the sins of all humanity. There are false teachers who would say, even today, Jesus never really, you know, God never inhabited the flesh. Uh, the Son, Jesus, is not God, separate and distinct from the Father. There is no Trinity. There's all these different arguments. We just read, what did, what did, who is Jesus? He's the Son of the Father's love. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. That sounds like God to me. All things were created through him and for him and by him. That sounds like God to me. Do you worship Jesus Christ? I do. Are we supposed to worship a man? Mm-mm. One God, my creator. And this is, you know, said in John chapter 1, John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. All things were created through him. The word, in verse 14, He became flesh. He tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son, and not in creation, that word begotten. Begotten is the the idea of preeminence, of first, the firstborn Son. Now, last week we covered all the wayward philosophies, the art of persuasion, how we can be convinced of rational arguments. Uh, We can think them to be true, but they're not when they are not based upon the definition of who Jesus is. But now here in verse 11 of chapter 2, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, literally hostile to us, toward us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. Back to verse 11. So here's his conversation is, you know, he cycles into continuing to define who Jesus is and what he's done and that applies it to a specific circumstance. So right now in this section that I just read through, he's coming back to the cycle of elevating who it is that Jesus is and what it is that Jesus has done. And here's this idea, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And here's the, here's the, the teaching. God gave to Abraham in Genesis 17 this sign, this sign of the circumcision, that every single descendant of Abraham was to have their foreskin cut off on the eighth day. Now, there's an outward practice of this, this cutting off of the literal flesh. But when you sit in the teachings of the Old Testament, God is very clear that the teachings, the image, the instruction of this is it's cutting off of the covering of this body of sin, of death. So when it talks about we have been circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, so we're not talking about the physical act of circumcision, what it is that God has done for us. He has cut away the circumcision of Christ is cut, the cutting off of our flesh. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? This is the circumcision in Christ. He has cut off this body of death, this covering, where it uses this word uncircumcision. It's literally the idea of a covering, the foreskin. And this is the imagery that he's given so that we would know and understand what it is that Jesus has already done. So now you can sit in multiple traditions today that would say that all male children should be circumcised as followers of Jesus Christ because this is the command that God gave in the Old Testament. And we're going to deal with that in a minute because that is not what we're instructed in. How about baptism? We are buried with him in baptism. This imagery of baptism. Baptism means to be dipped. It means to be immersed. We are buried with him in baptism. Buried in death, in which you were also raised together with him. We are resurrected with Jesus Christ. His life, how do we access this? Simply by faith. And where's your faith? Is it in your righteousness? Is it in your acts? Is it in the act of your obedience to being baptized? Or is your faith and the energy and the effort and the action and the working of God who created you. See the contrast? I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's been a question since the very beginning of the church. If a man or a woman has not been water baptized before their death, are they saved? Yes or no? You ever heard of the story about the thief on the cross next to Jesus? What did he cry out to Jesus for? For forgiveness. What did Jesus tell that man? Today you will be with me in paradise. Did they dip that man? Did they water baptize him? You sit in the book of Acts, when people express faith in Jesus Christ, what's their first act of obedience? Baptism. Initiation. Did Jesus command us to baptize disciples of Jesus in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? Yeah, he gave us a command, so we do the command. Does that action save us? Absolutely not. What's the action? It's, a, it's an expression of, I am identified by that man. I am identified by his death on the cross. He died for my sins, for this body of death. And not only am I identifying myself with his sacrifice, that he became my sin for me, 
that imagery of going underneath the water, but I have been resurrected in his life. Just like he resurrected from the dead, and that power, that's the power that lives and dwells in me today, and I identify by it, and I have the hope and the confidence that when I die in this body of death in the future, that I'm immediately going to be with Christ. And there's coming a day when he is going to give me and all of us a new body, an incorruptible body, a body that doesn't decay, and a body that will abide with the creator for all eternity. That's what this baptism is talking about. It's not talking about this action which we are to obey in, we are to pursue, we are to uh, be obedient because he who loves Jesus does what? Obeys what Jesus says. And we all mess up and he's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins as we come to him in confession and in constant relationship but not through religious tradition and binding religious behaviors which we're going to get to in a minute so we have faith in the work the action of god who raised jesus from the dead and again we just want to sit in total clarity if jesus did not resurrect from the dead every single one of us is still in a body of death and we will die and we will be eternally separated from our creator because there is no other payment for your debt and that's what this language is here you we were dead in our trespasses and our moral offenses against god and the uncircumcision, the covering of our flesh that has been cut off by Jesus, he made alive together with him. He has forgiven you. He has given to you graciously his life. That's what forgiveness, this, this word, is all about. It's not just that he is um, not holding us to account but this overabundant, gracious giving that he pours into our life. He's forgiven us all of our moral offenses. And here's the, he is wiped out, he is erased. The handwriting of requirements that is against us. This handwriting of requirements. Anybody have a mortgage? Anybody have a, a car loan? You ever read through the, the writing of your mortgage document? Pages, right? This handwriting... This is what it is. It is the handwriting of the debt that you owe because of your sins. Anybody want to sit with that list before your creator? I don't. Look at what it says. That handwriting. Here's, here's, all, here's all the commands. Here's all the regulations. Here's all the ordinances of God. Here's holiness, righteousness, justice, perfection. And here are the paragraphs. Here's the encyclopedia of your debt, of how you've missed the perfect mark day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, in your body of death. Now how much do you love Jesus? Because that Encyclopedia Britannica has been erased. That is the gift of God's grace through His Son. That is His love. That is your hope. That is your confidence. Why would we attempt to say to Jesus, that is not enough? Because that's what religion does. Jesus' sacrifice is not enough. And now you need to toe the line. It's contrary to us, hostile to us. He's taken it out of the way, out of our midst. He nailed that to the cross, this image of when he was dying, our death on the cross, offering his body for the remission of our sins. There is his body nailed to the cross, becoming sin for us, dying the death that we deserve so that we don't have to. And look, look at this imagery. He's disarmed the principalities and powers, so this is spiritual authority, spiritual beings, having made them a public spectacle, triumphing over, triumphing, I have trouble with that word, over them in it. 
Here's the imagery. So this idea of he's disarmed principalities, these, these beginning powers. This is Satan. This is demons. This is those spirits who God created that have rebelled against God. And uh, there's, we're not going to sit in that teaching if, if you are unaware of it because that would be a segue for the remainder of our time. But here's this idea that when Jesus died for our sins and he rose again from the dead, and that resurrection is a testimony of his victory, that the payment was paid, right? He walks up to, visually, this is just the image that we're given, to these princes and principalities and powers, these authorities that are seeking to... Well, they are. They're in opposition to God, and they're in opposition to you. He walks up to them as a general, as the conquering king, and he strips off of them all of their markers of authority. Have you ever seen the imagery where a, a, you, know, you have the conquering general goes to the general that was just conquered and you know, rips the stars off of his collar? Like, here's all these badges of authority on these principalities and powers, and Jesus... After his resurrection, you have this disarming, this public display. Their power is stripped. So as you sit in the, the, the true and weird spiritual realm that we only have any information about in, is when the Holy Spirit reveals things to us and through the revealed word of God. When you sit in that realm and you sit in that realm today, you have absolutely nothing to fear in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6 tells us that we stand in the authority and the power of God. We stand in the power of his might and his strength. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood against one another, but there is a spiritual wrestling and a spiritual battle that goes on. But here's the confidence. Those spiritual beings, they have zero authority. They have been stripped of all the authority, the dominion that they had. So when Adam and Eve were created, they were given dominion over the earth. They were to go out and subdue it and conquer it. When they sinned, there is an idea that they transferred their dominion and their authority over to Satan and to these princes and principalities. Like I said, that's about all that we're going to get into that this morning because it's a huge subject. When Jesus rose again from the dead... That dominion that they had has been stripped completely. He has publicly made them expose them, um, making them a public spectacle. So this whole idea of a, of a king with a procession of those that he has conquered is this imagery. So here Paul is getting into all of the imagery who Jesus is, what it is that Jesus has done, elevating all of that in our minds and our hearts. And now there's the therefore statement. So, so therefore, let no one judge you. Listen to this. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance, literally the body, is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God, not from man stuff. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself, obligate yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance, literally a word, a reckoning of wisdom. They, that sounds really good, but it's in self-imposed, do-it-yourself, thought-up religion. False humility, neglect, literally, this is a unsparing neglect of the body. So it's, a, it's beating your body into submission like that's going to deliver you from sins but are of what? No value, no honor. There's no price. There's no payment in those behaviors against the indulgence of the flesh. So here Paul is getting to this area of the argument. So how do you, how do you keep somebody from judging you? 
How do you keep somebody from cheating you? And the idea here of cheating, it's, it's, it's a, how many of you guys are sports fans? You ever, you ever have a referee where you just want to throw a rotten tomato out of them because they made a terrible call? That's, that's this imagery. Here you have a referee who just cheated you of the touchdown because of their bad call. That's the, that's the imagery for let no one cheat you, let no one judge you. Do people judge you? Every single day. You go walking up to them and tell them not to judge you and give them your perspective and understanding and all that kind of stuff? No. So how do you prevent another human being from judging you? How do you prevent another human being from robbing you of your reward in Jesus Christ? It has everything to do with you, not with them. Do you like it when people tell you that you're, you're following Jesus incorrectly? Sometimes I need the correction, right? And sometimes the Lord's placed me in the life of somebody else to be that correction and to be that encourager. But the information that this is walking is, is in regards to, has anybody ever come up to you and tell you that you shouldn't eat that food? If you eat that, your relationship with God is insufficient. And again, sit in, the, sit in the culture of the day. So you're dealing with the regulations, dietary regulations of the Old Testament that God gave to the nation of Israel. You're sitting in a culture that is, as they are butchering their animals, they're, they're literally killing this animal in the name of their false gods into demons. So this, this idea of food has a lot more weight than it does for us just going to the grocery store and grabbing you know, a, a pork loin out of, the, out of the refrigerator and going home cooking it up and eating it. Do you understand that? I mean, there's, there's a lot more depth in this culture than we sit in today. But in this culture, they're going to have people come up to them and say, what are you doing eating that? What are you doing eating that pork? What are you doing eating that meat that's been sacrificed to idols? You are not saved. You are not keeping yourself. You are not keeping the law of God. And again, we have very clear instructions in the New Testament in regards to what the dietary laws were for in the Old Testament and their separation and sanctification and what God was doing for the nation of Israel in their relationship with him. And there is a freedom that we have in Christ in the New Testament that nothing, nothing that enters your mouth makes you unclean before God. It goes in your mouth and it's eliminated from the body. What corrupts you? It's what springs forth in the heart because this is where sin springs forth. And then it comes out of my mouth. Actions, behaviors, words. That's why the new covenant, the new testament, what has God given to us? A new heart. A heart that's, that's fertile soil for his word to be planted, for his word to produce its fruit. Yet, again, so sit in just modern culture. I mean, people will come and say, okay, if you drink alcohol... Man, I don't even know if you're saved. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says don't get drunk, so don't get drunk. I don't drink alcohol because God's told me not to drink alcohol, and it's not for any of you because I might stumble you. It's because I would abuse it. I would cross the line because I lack self-control. So I avoid it altogether because that's the command that God has given to me in my relationship with him. So when I look at my brothers and sisters, and if you enjoy a beer or a glass of wine, you're not getting drunk, should I say, oh, you sinners, I don't even know if you're saved. But that's what religion does. And because you're not in agreement with me, you need to die if you don't repent. That's, that's like the ultimate conclusion of these kinds of attitudes. How about the new moons and the Sabbath? Anybody have a problem with the Sabbath? Where's the Sabbath come from? God created the heavens and the earth in how many days? Six. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. What chapter of the Bible is that in? Genesis chapter 2, way before the law, yeah? Exodus 16, you have that initial instruction of God in regards to the Sabbath for the nation of Israel as they're coming out of Egypt, freed from slavery, redeemed, in relationship with God. From uh, the Ten Commandments, 
Do you know that God spoke audibly from heaven when he gave the Ten Commandments? Keeping the Sabbath day holy is one of the Ten Commandments. So therefore, today's Sunday. It's not the Sabbath day. Saturday's the Sabbath day. So are we in sin? Why not? Old Testament instruction is very clear. The Sabbath was given to the nation of Israel as a sign of the relationship between Israel and God. And it was a testimony that God was separating and sanctifying this group of people to be a witness to all so that all would know that the God of the Jews was the creator of the heavens and the earth. So this this idea not to work on the Sabbath day was God's promise, I will provide for you. Again, in its roots and its foundation in that culture, there were, you know, they were to collect the bread from heaven, the manna, every single day. But on Friday, they're going to collect two days worth and God was going to preserve it an extra day. Every other day, if they collected too much, it would rot. But on that, on that Friday, they collected two days worth. God preserved it as a testimony to the culture at that time. How much did Jesus rib the religious leaders when it came to the Sabbath day, as you read in the Gospels? A lot. Because that, that message of rest took on all of this religious tradition, all these additions. How does this work, right? All this reasoning of man, all these well-thought-out arguments that they thought sounded really good, but trying to apply, them in li- apply it in life. And again, they're working about their own righteousness rather than the righteousness which comes from God. The New Testament doesn't give us a lot of clarity on in regards to the Sabbath. We see early on that the Lord's Day, there was a transition of worship from Saturday, the Jewish day to that it moved into uh, Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection in the early church. We are in the Old Testament. Like if you want to obey the Sabbath today, you can go to Numbers chapter 15 and, and look at what's required. A man was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. People saw him. They brought him to Moses and Aaron Say, hey, we saw this guy working, picking up sticks on today's the Sabbath. What are we going to do with him? What did God say? Stone him. Do you want to obey the Sabbath law? Old Testament law, anybody who violates the Sabbath, they are to be executed. Capital punishment violation. Anybody want to obey the Old Testament now? There was a purpose for it. There was a disobedience against it. You can go into Ezekiel chapter 20. God, uh, through Ezekiel, is communicating their rebellion in regards to the Sabbath and the consequence that came into the nation. But when all the Sabbath conversation, it ultimately gets into Hebrews chapter 4. It's talking about here's, here's a rest. Here's the true rest. And that true rest is in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. Joshua didn't bring the Jews into a period of rest when he brought them into the land of Canaan that became the promised land of Israel, right, that God promised to them. There wasn't rest, there was war. Again, all all of the imagery in regards to the Sabbath, it all revolves around the rest that Jesus provides. Because even when God rested from his work, it wasn't that he was exhausted, He's communicating what it is to be an absolute harmony and absolute peace with his creation that he just created. Was God still sustaining his creation on the seventh day? Was he working? Absolutely. So this rest, this Sabbath that is promised, it's your relationship in Jesus. You have perfect rest in God's creation with your creator through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Sabbath day is all about. So, don't let anybody judge you. However, you know, there's a, there's a, in Romans too, if you want to worship God on Saturday, have at it. And Friday, and Wednesday, and Monday. You know, if you want to gather together as the body of Christ on any day of the week, have at it. 
you're encouraged to do so. If you want to not eat pork in your relationship with God, you know what? It's okay. But the thing is, don't allow yourself to believe that you're bringing about some kind of righteousness through your behavior, or don't let yourself well up judgment against other people because they're not with you in agreement with that. In Romans 14, you know, it has this conversation too. You know, don't let the freedoms that you have in Jesus Christ stumble another believer's relationship with the Lord. And, you know, there's, again, there's a lot of instruction in this. It's just the damage that religion has done, vain philosophies, and here it's, you know, judgment in, in all these behaviors. You know, festivals, I told you we're going to talk about Halloween. How, all Halloween is, it's a feast day. You know what Halloween's really rooted in? It's not some pagan, wicked, demonic holiday. It's harvest. Do you praise God for the food that he puts on your table? I hope you do. But can you imagine being in an agricultural society where you are dependent upon the rain and the wind and the sun and the cycle to bring in a healthy crop that's going to sustain you through winter? Do you, are you going to have a, a pretty big feast as a community if there was a nice crop that came in? And if it was a bad crop, you're still going to gather together and thank God for that crop and ask God to, you know, make that loaves and fishes and sustain you through the winter months. That's, that's what the wind, this, this fall festival is all about. Have people taken that kind of festival and rooted in it paganism? Absolutely. Rooted in it demonic behavior, wickedness. Absolutely. Glorifying death, glorifying horror. Absolutely. Do we participate in that? Nope. Youth are going to gather here on Wednesday night. What are you guys going to do? You can drive pentagrams on the, you know, the, I mean, it's, there's no weirdness. It's an excuse to get together and have fun in relationship, in community with one another. Eating is awesome. Eating alone is boring. Eating in community, that's fun right there. So don't let anybody judge you in these festivals, these feast days, new moons, Sabbaths. And this is the, the emphasis of shadow. And I'm going to have to hurry it up. All right. Shadows are caused by what? You have a light source and an object that blocks the light source. And there's my shadow over there. And there's my shadow, right? So if these things, if the Sabbath, if the new moon, the commands of the Old Testament are a shadow of things to come, what's being communicated? Don't have a relationship with the shadow. Have a relationship with me. Don't have a relationship with your religious traditions and these things that you think are making you holy and making you perfect and making you right before your creator. Aim at having a relationship with your creator every single day, not with the shadow. How weird would it be for my sons to come up here right now and start talking to my shadow and ignoring me? Really weird, huh? But that's, the, that's, what, that's what's uh, it's powerful imagery. If my sons just walked up here and tried to give my shadow a hug. That's dumb, yeah? It's the same thing when it comes to all these weird religious traditions. And again, there's a, there's a lot of traditions that we can engage in and you can be free in, and there's, there's no condemnation. Do you like stained glass? I think stained glass is awesome. Do you like cathedrals? I think, I think the buildings that men have built throughout history, I think they're awesome. They're beautiful. And they can be a holy space. But God's not impressed with that. You ever seen a church from 2,000 years ago? They're all crumbled. Anybody you been to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher? What a mess that building is. <laughs> it's been added to on all, all, all of these centuries. All this stuff decays. Anything that we make, it's not permanent. It decays. It's not the relationship with the shadow. We have relationship with the God of God's. He took on a body of flesh, died for our sins, rose again in that incorruptible body, has that body of flesh for all eternity, will make us one with him, give us new bodies. Let nobody cheat you of these rewards. 
It's false humility, worshiping creatures, the angels, rather than the creator, invading, intruding into things. Nobody's seen this spiritual realm. They're just puffed up and inflated in their own ideas and the flesh of their mind. And they're not adhering to the head. They're not adhering to Jesus. Therefore, again, verse 20, since Jesus, well, since you died with Jesus, from all of these basic teachings, don't subject yourself, don't obligate yourself to all these human regulations, human commandments, doctrines of men, Again, these things can have a very, they can be very persuasive. They have the appearance. They have the word. There's an authority behind it. Uh, You have somebody that stands before you saying, I represent God. Here's what the word of God says. You know, we have to, we listen, but we take those teachings and see how they line up and if that's what's being taught. But ultimately here, I love this title. All this stuff is just do it yourself. DIY religion. how destructive that has been in so many people's lives. But what, are, what is it ultimately? There's no value there. There's no honor there. There's no, there's no payment that you are making that is going to eliminate the desire that your flesh has to indulge in itself and in its desires. Again, this just gets back to where I began this morning in Paul's cry, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And it's, it is simple faith in who it is that Jesus is and what it is that Jesus has done. And the, the exhortation, the encouragement is to walk in freedom. When I walk in I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing enough. I'm missing. I'm not doing it the way that I wanted to do it. I'm not doing it the way that others want me to do it. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe that I said that. I can't believe that I did that. When you have all those thoughts and that's the monster in your life and that's big, how are you with God? Are you deflated, discouraged, in despair, in a caged, shackled, confused? Where are you, God? Faithless, unbelief, disobedience, rebellion. All of those emotions crawl out of me when that's my position. But when I am flooded with his joy, and this again this morning, I am, I am flooded with the joy of God. I am I am overwhelmed by his gracious love for creating me, for chasing me, for saving me, for revealing his truth to me, for just, again, just just the refresher course in my own soul this morning in remembering who it is that Jesus is and what it is that he's done for me and to give me the, the confident understanding that I don't need any of this other stuff. Nobody can take my reward. Nobody is my judge. Nobody can take the joy out of my heart this morning. Not a circumstance, not a principality or power. This is, this is, this is what Paul is doing for the Colossians. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing for us today. I pray that, I pray that you are unbound from any traditions that you are seeking or participating in that you think that it's making you a better man or better woman in the sight of your God. Nothing, no action is going to make you more holy than the act of Jesus Christ on the cross and dying for your sins and erasing your debt. So be filled with that joy, be filled with that confidence 
and ask God to help you let go of all of those things that bind you, discourage you. And it's really, if you want a revelation into what those things may be in your life, it's those stones that you want to throw at the head of another person who says that they believe in Jesus Christ that they're not doing that bugs you that they're not doing it. Or that they are doing it and it bugs you that they are doing it. You know, outside of, we, you know, we have very clear guidelines, right, in regards to moral behavior. And we're going to get into those putting off of the flesh and what we are to put on. We have those clear instructions. But those are those things that... Uh, how can that person be a Christian and be a Democrat? Or how can that person be a Christian and be a Republican? You know, those, those are the kind of thoughts that we want to pick up the stone or the phone, and we hurl it. Be free from that. So, Father, we're going we're gonna to intentionally, on purpose, come boldly before your throne through your work and faith, through your son and his sacrifice and his resurrection. We come to you in confession that we have been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, the circumcision of Christ. We come to you immersed in his baptism, dead and buried to the old man, And we come to you in the resurrection of his life. We come to you, Lord, free and liberty, without weight, without debt. We owe you nothing because you have paid it all. So we come to you with minds and hearts and lives that are are free. Free to worship, free to love, free to follow you, free to obey you want to do those things that you tell me to do, Lord. So through your spirit, give us power. Give us your wisdom. Give us your knowledge. Give us the experience. Give us the patience. Give us what we need to follow you, Lord, in great joy. Your joy is my strength. I thank you, Lord, for just, again, flooding my mind, my soul this morning with your truth. And I feel like I'm floating across the ground, Lord. Not because of my behaviors, but just through faith in who you are. I love it. I'm praying that same thing for my brothers and sisters, Lord. So we turn to you now, Lord. We turn to you in complete freedom. Unshackled from all things. Unshackled from traditions and the commandments of men. Unshackled from sin. We come to you to worship you. We come to you to to remember your body and your blood, your sacrifice. We come to you to tell you that we love you. And we come to you, Lord, so that we can just be, be one with you, to be strengthened by you. Thank you for joy. Thank you, Lord, that, um, that we're not alone. That here you are in our midst, but in our midst. Give you thanks for the, the souls that are here, Lord. They image you to me. And I'm thankful for each one of them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.